Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Each week, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. We all know B2B makes the world go round, even when the world seems to stop. We're in a unique situation globally at this point where every business has the exact same challenges to deal with. And yet they're all a little different across industries. Most businesses have learned to pivot quickly by using digital tools that make business connections across vast distances. But it's best when we can share that information. At Godfrey, we've been doing some writing and some thinking about that. And today I have Cliff Lewis, Executive Creative Director, and Josh Albert, Vice President of New Business, to talk with us about what we've learned so far from the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey. Hey, Scott. So what kinds of insights have you guys seen as we've worked through these weeks of uh, global shutdowns, working from home, uh, and especially canceled events and uh, and, and canceled sales calls? Uh, well, you know, the thing, the thing that really strikes me is, is I think for a lot of people, I mean, humans crave human contact. People want to be not just with their families, but they want to be part of a society. They want to be part of a community. And so anyone in general out, you know, marketing aside, business to business aside, anybody is, is, is having a tough time dealing with being apart and having to live a more insular lifestyle during these, these weeks and months. Um, but I really do think that communications per- professionals in particular uh, within uh, within the the professional working world, I think these these folks are are really dealing with probably a, a unusual degree of cabin fever because we specifically got into an industry uh, on the basis of this idea that we're going to connect with people. We're going to be experts in helping people connect with other people. Um, we're going to be facilitating those connections. We're going to be facilitating those conversations. And, you know, now that business to business marketers are having to m- skip their conferences, they're having to, they're having to cancel their in-person product demos and their, their person to person, face to face meetings wherein they can conduct business. I think, I think now we're really, we're really starting to feel the, the pinch of it. And, and at the same time, as much as I think B2B marketers feel the pinch of this, I think we also are uniquely positioned uh, professionally, given the skill sets that we've acquired over our careers to, to, help, to help customers, to help our organizations weather the storm. Yeah, and Cliff, I think as as you say, feel the pinch of it. You know, each industry is is feeling the pinch a little bit differently right now. You have, you know, large consumer brands that are still having to maintain some of their online operations. Um, mm-hmm. You have restaurants and and the travel industry that's been greatly upended by this. Um, but when everybody feels like the world really has come to a stop, you know, it really hasn't for the clients that that we work with. You know, a lot of these uh, manufacturers are are supporting um, the the many different facets of, of this, um, you know, effort to, um, you know, attack this, this pandemic, uh, on the front lines from, 
um, you know, medical equipment to getting supplies and, and necessary equipment to uh, frontline healthcare workers, um, all the way through to the different building systems and so forth that need to continue running in, in hospitals and even people's homes. I mean, we have to maintain a, a level of comfort in our own homes, even when we're, we're stuck inside. So you have, you know, all different systems that, that go into those things. And so, yeah, it's interesting to think about that, I, you know, everything from the different products that we're continuing to buy online and, and even in the grocery stores, you know, the transportation the supply chains, the food manufacturers, the frontline grocery workers, you know, the, the world really hasn't come to a stop. We just sort of talk like it has. So B2B marketers have a really unique challenge in that sense is that, you know, most of them, their, their, their manufacturing plants are still running. In some cases, they might be running at half capacity. In other cases, they might be trying to run at two times capacity to meet the demand. So certainly really unique time that, that we're in for sure. Yeah, I do think it's it's interesting that a lot of the uh, the logistics, the manufacturing, everything that that tends to happen sort of behind the scenes is now kind of in the forefront because people are thinking more about how a product gets from point A to point B to point C and and so on. Uh, there's so much that happens behind the scenes to keep those wheels moving, to keep all that all that going, and we're starting to think more and talk more about the people that actually help make that happen. And so I think that for, I think that for B two B, I think that that's that's been kind of an important moment of um, just visibility for the world at large. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard the phrase supply chain uttered in mainstream consumer media uh, as much as I have in my entire life. I don't think I've heard it as much as I have in the last few weeks, uh, because folks are really thinking they're thinking about how how products, how goods and services reach them as everyday consumers and we as people who live in the in the world of marketing to complex industries in this in this world of b2b we we see behind the scenes all the time and we understand all of the work and all of the advanced thinking and all the collaboration across industries and markets that happens to make the modern world work uh we know that it's you know to a lot of people it's an invisible hand but to us it's a very very much a visible thing in in our industry so so we're familiar with this but it's been really interesting to your point scott that it, people around the world are becoming more aware than ever of of what these kinds of industries are doing every day to to make our way of life possible yeah, and I think that that's great. I mean, when when you talk about it, there's there's four unique challenges that I think we've really been honing in on as we kind of, you know, move past this idea of okay, manufacturers are still up and running, we still have to meet the demand. Um, you know, there's there's numerous consumer challenges there. Uh, but our you know, our clients have have come to us and we've had conversations around really four unique things. Um, the first one being, you know, replacing canceled industry events. You know, you talked about um, you know, early on all these events that most of our clients are using, most industrial manufacturers use as a primary source of lead generation, those events are canceled indefinitely for, for 2020. Um, and there's talk about what's going to even happen in 2021. So there's just a lot of uncertainty around uh, industry events, whether they're trade shows, conferences, customer events, um, anything along those lines. Um, the second challenge would be presenting when you can't be present. You know, B2B ha has been and, and continues to be driven largely by face-to-face -face interactions, you know, whether they're those events or whether they're one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, sales meetings, you know, where we're taking complex products and services and demonstrating to customers how they work. A lot of times that, that really does happen in person. Um, the third one is is how do you then take that and, and help uh 
customers experience your product at a distance? You know, how do you move your product into the digital space? Um, and then the fourth challenge that we've spent some time talking about is, you know, sales. Salespeople, again, are largely face-to-face. You know, how do they continue to close deals and do that without hopping on, uh, in cars, trains, planes, and moving, you know, around the country to meet with their customers? So how are they doing these things without being able to shake hands, so to say? Um, mm-hmm. so those are the four big challenges that we've talked a lot about. And I know, Scott, you know, one, one of the things that we, I think, faced very early on when this first happened, we had some clients who had uh, industry events that were taking place literally the, the following week after some of these um, closures started happening and travel restrictions were being put in place. And, you know, at that point, it's, you know, you almost feel like it's too late to adjust. You know, clients have already made the investment in the trade show space. They've had the booth many cases, some of these booths were actually being assembled as these events were being canceled. So, you know, from a marketer's perspective, how can they get the most out of that investment then? You know, they're, they're, they're spending so much money to get to that point, um, whether the event's already being set up or whether it's maybe a couple months out and they're still in the planning phases. What, what do you think about that? Well, it, it really is kind of a fascinating situation because um, a, lot of, a lot of B2C companies are are dealing with similar uh, investments that they then have to have to find something else to do, like like with that investment that they put in. Uh, but it's the opposite. They actually have space to talk, but their messaging has to change. It has to be fundamentally different. I was reading an article about Hotels.com. They have that mascot, Captain Obvious, and they had airtime already purchased uh, on television. But nobody's staying in hotels right now, uh, at least not in the in the way that we're that we're used to doing that. So they had to rewrite on the fly and reshoot ads to actually fill that space. In B2B, so much of what we are talking about is still highly relevant, but we no longer have the platform. We no longer have that space. And so I I think uh, of the two, I think that that's maybe a little bit more of an enviable place to be because so much of the content is still relevant. And you haven't lost that. You've lost the opportunity to be on site with your customers and with your with your prospects. Uh, but you've not lost the content. You've not lost the ideas that you've put together. You you've not lost a lot of the things that you may have prepared for that um, in terms of conceptual design, in terms of video content, and that sort of thing. So it really is. I think for the B two B marketer, it's really about looking at those individual assets that you have and figuring out the best way to leverage them. Um, number one really is direct contact via email. How do, you, um, how do you take that information that you have and look at the list of, of um, email addresses that you have, look at the relationships that you've already started to build, the ones that you were getting ready to leverage, uh, maybe looking at the people that were actually going to attend a trade show or a conference, and start to reach out to them you know, in an appropriate and and, uh, and GDPR compliant manner about what's going on next and and what you were what you're planning to work on. Um, that's that's one of the the really best ways that I think people can still reach out, take that content, repurpose it. The second, and this really comes hot on the heels of that, is connecting on social because you can do that from anywhere and. Uh, we would be dealing with such a different challenge and such a different market if this had happened 20 years ago. I really do think that it would have had uh, a bigger impact on the economy because we weren't as connected as we are now. Uh, but through through video conferencing and the kinds of collaboration tools that most offices use, 
we can work with teams to still work out a good social campaign, take that messaging, uh, take that creative, you know, adjust it as appropriate, and you can you can build a solid social campaign that actually might have a wider reach than one of those shows. And I think that's one of the areas that we've seen a lot of um, innovation is is taking events uh, and turning them into virtual events, even as something as simple as Facebook Live or using LinkedIn video or um, any of the number of social platforms that are out there. It just seems like it's such a quick win and it's not a place that, you know, industrial manufacturers have spent a lot of time exploring in the past. You know, they, they might have had some one off engagements with it, um, but they haven't really gone, um, you know, head first into live social events. So I think we've seen a lot of innovation there, at least across the industry in terms of, you know, taking a, a physical event and turning it into a social one. Well, and even beyond that, I mean, we've, we've certainly seen, um, even with some of our clients, when, when you are a brand and, and sometimes you invest very heavily in, in one particular show on the horizon every year, and that is where you you expect to gather a good deal of leads. It's where you're you've invested a great deal of budget into that particular show, and then that show ceases to be. And we've seen some some marketers and some brands deciding to, in the absence of the show that they were going to attend, uh, with a great deal of investment, uh, actually creating an event of their own uh, in place of that, where they can't really they can't really replicate the kind of return on investment they would have gotten uh, through actually exhibiting at that show. Cause you know, a lot of these shows aren't able to pivot quickly enough into a, a truly um, robust virtual experience. So, so sometimes that's just not happening and we've seen some of that budget move into custom, custom tailored branded events that are really hosted by the brand itself. Yeah, and some of those can take uh, can take the form of of one to two days of actually being available, being available throughout a business day to interact individually uh, as as people come through, um, you know, absorb some content and actually have questions. Others are are as simple as putting on a webinar and um, and allowing people to, to check in live. You know, you do the presentation you were going to have on stage at a conference. You do the presentation you were going to have at your trade show booth. Um, convert that to a webinar, record it, and then it's available later on for people to, to digest if they haven't, um, if they weren't able to show up for it live. And that's a way to get that content out and to actually have it work for you uh, theoretically even while you're asleep. Mm-hmm. And I think it brings up a great point too. You know, as we talk about all of these different ways to convert uh, a physical event to a digital one, you know, it almost provides the opportunity for marketers to throw up the red flag and say, okay, hold on, let's take a pause and think about this, not for a long period of time so that we draw out this process, but let's think about what we're trying to do here. What's the goal? What's the best way to communicate this message? What is the audience going to be wanting to do? You know, you have to think right now about the whole the so-called like zoom fatigue that that's starting to set in with, um, you know, people who are working remotely at home, you know, and, and their attention span and the things that are going on inside the walls of their own, uh, you know, personal space. Um, but you know, we've been so comfortable with the playbook that has been written for physical events, whether they're trade shows or customer events or, or anything along those lines that, you know, doing those things on an annual basis just becomes this sort of, process driven 
um, machine, so to say, where we come up with a unique idea, you know, the concept, the messaging, what are the products that we're going to feature at the event? How are we going to drive traffic? How are we going to, you know, manage lead generation? How are we going to handle, you know, PR and trying to get editors through the booth and those kinds of things. But we know the different touch points there and they don't really change a whole lot. Um, but in the digital space, now that we're moving into, you know, almost some uncharted territories for some brands, again, th- there's so many opportunities that I think the biggest question marketers have to ask themselves is, you know, what is it that we're trying to do? And and is this the right platform? You know, a, a physical event doesn't necessarily translate into that exact same experience in the digital space. And you may not need to have a full day conference in place of your physical conference. You may be able to do it in different ways. Like you said, with, you know, communicating via email, you can do live chat, um, you have webinars, you have video, there's just so many different ways to interact with the audience. And it's just, I think it's, it's a, I think a caution that that we would um, advise marketers to really just stop and think about that. Yeah, that's that's very wise. And I, I think another way to say what you're saying, Josh, is is you want to rather than just trying to replicate the form factor of whatever format you are familiar with and and you had expected to to leverage with your investment, start with the outcomes and work your way back from that figure out what is it that you are expecting to achieve by attending this show? Um, is it leads? Is it relationship building? And and really, really start with the outcomes, work your way backwards into tactics that are going to help you achieve those outcomes. And sometimes they may be, they may not be the sexiest thing in the world. It might be, uh, you know, some more, some drip marketing or, you know, a, um, a marketing automation driven email campaign um, that just, creates more engagement with that same list of, of attendees that you expected to engage at the event. And perhaps that is all it takes to reach that same outcome that you had expected to achieve by engaging in that show. So I think you just, people need to be really open-minded on one hand. I think folks do need to be open-minded about new form factors and new technologies and new platforms during a time like this, but also we need to be practical and consider what were our goals and how can we achieve them and how can we redirect our budgets accordingly? Right. I think a key part of that, and I actually um, talked about it a little bit in the, in the blog post that I wrote was um, meeting your audience where they are. And uh, you know, in addition to, to working back from those outcomes, also get in touch with your clients, get in touch with your customers, uh, get in touch if you can with your prospects, look at the research and the data and think about where they are right now, what their challenges are, but also, uh, you know, how their channels may have changed a little bit. Uh, are they going to be primarily more desktop or mobile? And what are what are the the things of the the ways that the rhythms of their daily life and their attention have changed? One way to do that is um, just to get on the phone with some people that you work with on a regular basis and talk to them. And you're going to absorb a lot of of understanding about that. It may give you ideas about ways to bring that message and to bring that content to them in a manner that you may not have um, have ever planned to do otherwise. All right, great. So Scott, as you talked about meet your audience where they are, you know, we've also talked about doing that as you bring, you know, your event to life. And for so many of our 
uh, you know, clients and, and industrial marketers, it's all about, you know, products. It's all about complex products. And, and that's why, you know, events have been a cornerstone part of their marketing strategies. Let's talk a little bit about how you can bring, you know, that, that sort of product experience to life in the virtual space. And Cliff, you, you did write a post about this as well. And you talk about five different ways to really retrofit your B2B product demos for the age of social distancing. Why don't you give us an overview of, you know, five different ways marketers can, can think about moving their product demos into the virtual space? Yeah, so so this is this is very close to the heart of of everything that Scott was just talking about in terms of of canceled events, canceled in-person experiences because it is at a lot of those events that we deliver these product demos. This is one of the reasons why in business to business and and marketing to complex industries we see such value placed on these in-person trade events. Obviously, it's not going to be the same for the typical business to consumer brand. But in our space, you know, these are these are uh, lower volume, higher value purchases with with long, very involved buying cycles where folks really need to get their hands on these products many times, experience them firsthand and get a real sense for whether this is going to be worth the investment. An investment that in many cases buyers are putting their neck on the line, sometimes their job on the line in making a purchase like this within complex industries. So those in-person demos are so important. And like I said, they happen quite often inside these now canceled industry events. So so what do we do? How do we still facilitate those? And I think there are a lot of ways to do it. Um, one thing is you, you really want to think about what your budget is that you have on hand, because there are some very simple ways that you can recreate this type of experience. There are some more involved ways that you can recreate this type of experience, because it could be as simple as simply getting some of your reps in front of a camera and recording the product demo. And I think what's really interesting is we can actually get some inspiration from, from consumer marketing here in some cases, because there is a whole category of products that are sold to consumers where it it has sort of the flavor of a complex industrial buy because it's maybe a slightly more expensive product. There are actually some forms of business to consumer marketing tactics that we really can take a lot of inspiration from in a case like this because when especially in in promoting and and marketing power tools and more expensive appliances that folks are going to invest in, you're going to find a lot of these types of in-person, single camera, single take videos that are produced with large volume. So very simple production value, not a lot of glitz and glamour in terms of how this video is produced and staged. Um, but, but a lot of videos and every single one of these videos typically, and you'll find these You'll find these on Amazon. Look up power tools, and you're going to find a lot of these. Or if you go to um, the example that we found was uh, Bosch Power Tools has a whole series of videos where they have uh, someone who at least appears to be an expert, uh, some t- some type of rep who is walking through the attributes of a given power tool product and and explaining you know what its attributes are, what its benefits are, and you're looking it's you're looking at a table, you're looking at the, the appliance on the table. And this guy is basically just walking the prospective customer through how it works, what it does, why it's different, why it's special, why it's worth the investment. And we can bring that to a lot of our own product demos, depending on how many products you want to 
promote. So you can really decide what kind of production value you want on a sliding scale. Again, it could be as simple as a single camera setup where you have one of your reps in front of a camera. They're they're presenting a product. They're talking about what makes it special, what makes it different. But that that alone is worth so much more than simply a, a nice landing page that details out those attributes because hopefully you'll already have that, but this is a way to try to recreate some of that demo experience. But there are a lot of other ways to do it. And and the second way that occurs to me outside of just pre-recorded uh, video demos, in-person video demos is creating some kind of live video interaction. And that's where you might be using a tool like Zoom or a tool like Skype or any one of the many uh, now emerging, now booming uh, conferencing platforms that are being used to actually recreate events virtually. And you could get on any kind of system like that. And sometimes it could perhaps just be a, a video chat. Some, if, you know the, if you know the customer or the prospect well enough, it could be as simple as a FaceTime call, but where you can actually have an interaction with a prospect uh, or an existing customer to talk about a new product and demo a new product. And the power of live video, of course, you can, you can deliver a lot of the same content that you might be packaging up in one of those pre-recorded videos that I mentioned earlier, but you could actually have some Q&A. You could have some interaction. You could answer some questions. You could demonstrate some attributes or features that perhaps you would have missed in a live demonstration that to this particular individual prospect is a very important feature that you'd you would want to unpack. So, so live video is a great way to do it. There's also, you know, going a little further than just the, the, the flat screen video experience, be it live or pre-recorded, you know, there are, there's the one thing that you're still missing that you get in person with the customers, the ability for them to manipulate the product in some way to, to hold it in their hands, to interact with it. And you still do lose that. So there are a lot of great, um, interactive technologies that allow your customer to feel like they are getting their hands on the product, so to speak. In in, in all of these cases, they aren't literally, uh, but they'll feel a lot more like it. And, you know, so we've, we've looked at things like 3D models where, you know, just through a browser-based experience, perhaps on your site, a customer can, can explore that product, can move it, can manipulate it, can see some of the, some of the functionality in motion. Um, if you want to create an experience where your customer can actually see that product to scale inside their own environment, that's where stuff like augmented reality can be really helpful. So you, where you can actually pin a 3D model of that object into the room where they are working, uh, that they can view it through their their mobile device camera and actually see it. So you know we we interact with augmented reality on a pretty regular basis today, uh, more than ever, you know, furniture retailers use this pretty extensively so that you can actually see a piece of furniture in your space, but this is easily applicable in the industrial world as well. So, so that's, that's yet another thing. And then for some products that are just so either so big that you can't adequately capture the scale or, or the, the quality of this particular product using augmented reality, there is of course always virtual reality where you could create a 3D interactive experience that can be activated by using some VR viewers like a Google Cardboard, which is a very low investment. And you can actually put your customer inside the world where you'd like them 
to be. So that could be putting them into a job site that they could see a large piece of construction machinery at work, or you could be uh, putting your audience, if it's architects and designers that you're speaking to, you could actually put them inside some kind of an application environment so they could actually uh, look at an installation of your product if it's something in the built environment. So there's a lot that that we can do to actually recreate some of the magic of that in-person product demo. And we're never going to get you know, all the magic of, of a, a real human experience, but I think there are a lot of ways that we can actually create something, something pretty special that will create a similar impression. Well, I, I like, I like all those examples. And one of the things that I, I like about the order in which you place them is they, they kind of go from, uh, from your most basic up to your most elaborate. Yeah. And the thing that strikes me is that the, the more basic ones are perhaps more immediately available but the thing that those have going for them is a sense of authenticity uh, and believability. Because if it if it's a little bit rough around the edges, if it's a little bit, um, you know, sort of making it up as we go, but you still have that sense of of command over the product, you still have that sense of knowledgeability and expertise. It's going to seem very authentic. Uh, whereas the other other ones, as you get into augmented reality and and VR. And that sort of thing are really just simply impressive. Yeah. And so either way, that expertise can be there um, with with varying degrees of of authenticity going for them, and that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah. And this is definitely a place that you know B two B marketers can <clears throat> draw a lot of inspiration from consumer brands. You know, we often talk about you know industrial marketers lag behind their consumer peers in a number of different ways, and technology is certainly one of those. And Cliff, your your furniture example really resonated with me because you know I think you know we're we're all stuck at home and you know maybe we're ordering groceries online for the first time maybe there's other things that you have to purchase via Amazon and any other online retailer that's just part of your everyday life and they're they're, they're consumables that that you need um, I was unfortunately kind of caught in a place where we were pretty much due for some new furniture right before the pandemic hit. You know, our, we have two very large dogs that are just very um, hard on, on the furniture that we have. And so, you know, the pandemic hit early March for us here um, in central Pennsylvania. And, you know, we started to be locked down. I think it was the the second week of March. So we're going on oh, it almost like six weeks now, maybe a little bit longer. And, you know, a few weeks ago, it our furniture was literally falling apart and, um, you know, we were kind of caught in a bad place because obviously there, there's a lot of concern over, you know, financial situation, the economy, um, you know, our business certainly hasn't been, um, uh, you know, avoiding that, that as well. So we were kind of caught in a place like, do we get new furniture? Or do we not? And, you know, we landed on, okay, we really do need some new furniture. If we're going to be stuck in this house. The furniture was literally falling apart. So, where do you go? You know, you, your blog post called out the example with Ikea and augmented reality. And, you know, I just could never have imagined myself buying furniture, something that I have to live with for the next several years online. And, yep. you know, fortunately, the technology's there. You know, my wife and I, we sat down, we went through some different options. We narrowed down our short list um, through a local retailer that, that has several different chain stores. They're not the largest, but they do uh, employ um, a number of different technologies and augmented reality was one of those. So we were able to take a piece of furniture that we uh, thought might fit for us and see it in our living room. Um, mm -hmm. And 
make that purchase. You know, we went through the whole thing online and they did contactless delivery where they just dropped it off on our front step. And then I had to, of course, assemble the whole thing, which is a whole nother process. Um, but yeah, it was a very interesting thing that, you know, I don't think I would have ever done that pre pandemic. Um, I don't know whether I'll do it again. I think it was, it was a very interesting experience, but, um, yeah, it just really resonated with me in that sense that, you know, we were just unfortunately in a place where we really had to do that. And fortunately there are brands out there that are really leading, um, with some of these technologies and allowing consumers to experience even large things like furniture, uh, virtually. Well, Josh, what you bring up there is very interesting because you're talking really about the entire, uh, sales cycle with a, uh, with a, an audience that is already most of the way to making a decision when they start to engage. Um, but then it, it becomes very critical at that point for the, uh, for the, the company that is offering those services and those, and those products it becomes really important for them to be able to tie things together so that you can effortlessly make a decision and they can close that deal. And I know you wrote uh, uh, quite a bit about, about remote selling uh, in the B2B space, you gave a, a great example of a B2C, uh, you know, furniture buying experience. But talk to us a little bit about uh, what you were uh, getting into with with remote selling and how that is uh, affected right now. Yes, I think you bring up a great point. While I am a salesperson uh, at heart, um, I think we've all had our bad experiences with furniture salespeople and nothing against them, but um, that's just the way the business is. So that was one of the really great things that I think I experienced throughout my own personal purchase recently was not having to walk in and be bombarded by salespeople because that's just what they do. It's like going to a car dealership. You walk into a car Is there anything I can help you find? Can I I help you with anything? (laughs) can Can I get anything for you? Exactly. Right. I mean, they're, they're on you. It's like, they know you're getting ready to walk through the door. And so I didn't have to go through that. I didn't have to experience that disruption or that, that sort of angst of, of having to interact with somebody, even though now I think we're all really dying for some human interaction. Um, but it, it, definitely lends itself to the B2B space because trade shows, you know, physical events, anything along those lines are environments where salespeople really thrive. You know, our industrial salespeople that work for our clients, you know, they are, they are uh, lively personalities. They know their product very well. They know their customers very well. um, And they really enjoy these trade shows and other physical events. Um, And it's a place for them to, connect with their customers, demo the products, address customer needs, and they do all of that within that, that that sort of physical space, whether it's during the event or whether it's after the event. You know, we all know that a lot of things happen after the event, whether they're, um, you know, uh, different entertainment type events, happy hours, uh, you, any number of things there, you know, small, intimate customer style events. Um, but, you know, so salespeople are kind of stuck at home right now, and then they don't have that that avenue to be able to do that. Um, and I'm talking salespeople of all different demographics, not just your younger folks who are entering the workforce, uh, maybe a few years out of college, all the way up to your really senior experienced salespeople who may have been with an industrial company for a couple of decades. You know, it's we're all stuck at home. And so salespeople are asking the question, like, how can I interact with my customers, you know, we're kind of nearing a point now where, again, I think depending on where you are in in the world, you may have been locked down much longer than we have, or maybe you've been locked down a little bit less. But regardless, I think you're you're either 
turning the, the corner on a couple months or, or a few weeks. And so, you know, what we might have thought would have been short term now becomes like a dire situation to think about, okay, what are we really going to do now the rest of the year? Because this isn't going away anytime soon. And we, we need to continue to meet sales quotas. You know, we need to continue to help our organizations um, drive revenue and, and um, provide products and services to, to customers who still need them. So, Video, you know, we've talked a lot about video and oftentimes, um, you know, we think about the cost and we've talked about different ways to, to leverage video, but you know, Zoom, other personal video platforms that are out there, there are a number of different ones where you can just take your webcam, record a quick video, drop it into an email and send it off to a, a a client, a prospect. That's something I used quite a few years ago. Um, there's some tools like Vidyard and others that you can just literally take and record, you know, maybe a 30 second video, maybe a few minute video, you know, something that you were going to type out a long email for. Maybe it's better to just send it as a video. Um, you know, certainly video is a great way to be able to, to connect with um, customers, even for salespeople. And, you know, um, almost all salespeople have access to mobile devices or laptops. So, you know, having the hardware to be able to do this is is for most of them in their hands already. So that's certainly something to, to think about, not just using video for marketing purposes, but really empowering your salespeople to, to get comfortable with video and use video. Um, some other things to think about, you know, it's, it's uh, along the lines of like we talked about with the VR and the AR, um, the 3D animations that, that Cliff was talking about, you know, salespeople, we have to take those, those tools, those content assets that exist and use them in different ways. You know, so we might have to, to jump onto a zoom call with a client and walk them through something, pull in a 3d model, you know, do some screen share. Maybe we need to, you know, find some ways to grab some of those, you know, inexpensive Google cardboard devices and mail them out to, to customers so that they can see some of our virtual reality content, you know, so it's just thinking through that in a different way and making sure that we're really leveraging those assets that, that marketing has put together. Uh, I know we, we've heard recently from our uh, clients that, you know, marketing is almost working uh, in overtime and overdrive right now, trying to meet the needs that salespeople have to put together custom presentations or take some really long content and boil it way down because right now, I mean, if you're going to pick up the phone and get on the phone with a customer, you know, pre pandemic, you might've been able to get 20 minutes out of them. If you're really going to add value and have a good conversation and they're anticipating that. But now, even if they know the call is coming and they know there's some exchange of value there, they might have five minutes to give you because they're just so inundated with so many other things going on. And so you have to think carefully about how do you really boil that down? How do you shorten up all of those those messages that, that you were going to communicate down to that one really key point? You know, so I think, you know, as we talked about all these different types of content and ways to to change some of these events into the, di the digital space, we really have to be mindful of, of prospects and customers' time right now because it's certainly a, a huge challenge. Well, and I, I think, uh, you know, to, to one of the points you were making there about um, about the immediate needs and the and the, the marketers really having to work hard to support the sales folks, um, I think we'd be we'd be remiss in not throwing in a plug for contacting your agency as well. Um, I mean, Godfrey is an agency. That's what we do. Uh, but because of that, like we, we know firsthand how the agencies are looking for ways uh, to stay engaged, uh, looking for ways to help their clients. Uh, we love a challenge. We like to rise to a challenge. And like everybody else, we're working from home and, and things are, are different. Um, 
but there's there are a lot of opportunities there to lean on agencies, sometimes for fairly short-term engagement, ways to take your brand and uh, enhance it or move it into a, a slightly different uh, headspace to help to support those marketing and sales efforts. No, I think you bring up a great point too. I mean, marketing has for years now, for a lot of these large industrial uh, global manufacturing organizations, marketing has worked remotely in in some capacity, right? I mean, you have regional marketing teams that are distributed across uh, the globe and they don't get together on a weekly, monthly. Uh, in some cases, maybe they don't even get together and interact face-to-face on a yearly basis just due to the, the, the constraints of that. Um, you know, so marketing is certainly positioned to be able to, to work remotely and support their teams uh, in the current pandemic situation that, that we're facing. But, you know, marketers don't have to go it alone. I mean, is as you certainly brought it up, you know, agencies are out there to help if they have freelancers, if they have any other partners, you know, certainly tap those, you know, that's the one thing, you know, there are so many lifelines out there for marketers that as long as they have the ability to engage some of those additional partners, you know, they should absolutely be doing that at this point. Um, and that leads me to a good point too. So we are partners with several different technology companies that are out there. Um, and one of those that we recently partnered with is a company called Drift. You know, they are a um, online chat platform. Um, they have built their business around helping um businesses really generate leads from um, web traffic, you know, in in different ways. You can have live chat, you can have automated chat through chatbots. But I've had some conversations with them and just trying to understand, you know, what are they doing with some of their industrial clients right now? You know, as I talked about, salespeople are sitting at home and it's not like we're sitting at home twiddling our thumbs or thinking about when we're going to get on the golf course next, which for Central Pennsylvania does open up here soon. Um, but we're thinking about how how can we best use our time? You know, how can we continue to, to, to work and, and be productive? And, you know, so I had that conversation with Drift. They've actually had a number of large industrial brands engage them and say, hey, we need, you know, 50 seats or a couple hundred seats uh, for our salespeople. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take our salespeople, our, our hundred, you know, field salespeople that would typically be going out on sales calls, uh, interacting with customers face to face. We're going to turn them into live chat salespeople on our website. You know, we're going to take get them onboarded quickly, show them how to use the technology, but then we're going to leverage that and allow them to have conversations with website visitors in a number of different ways. And there's some really um, unique ways that, that you can do that to where it doesn't feel like, again, like the furniture sales or car sales type mentality where you hit a website and now you've got five different faces popping up and trying to chat with you on every single page of the website, right? There are some some elegant ways to do it. And so you can now take your your field sales team and and move them into the digital space and allow them to do what they do best, which is have conversations with customers. And you can do that, um, I, I think, for a much smaller uh, budget than what you would if you're flying all around the country too. So that's the other thing too. I think, Cliff, you said earlier about budgets and, and things like that. And I think marketers really right now need to think outside of the box when it comes to budgets. You know, push your salespeople. I mean, as a salesperson myself, I'll say as a marketer, you need to push your salespeople for budget. You know, if they need help and they want to generate leads and and they want help moving some of these products and other things into a digital space, you know, they have travel and entertainment budgets that more than likely are not being used. So even if those budgets are being cut back a little bit, you know, maybe as a marketer, you can get a hold of some uh, excess sales budget in order to support them and some of these new, new and unique ways that we've been talking about. Uh, but definitely go after your salespeople's budget uh, pretty hard. 
Well, I, I think, you know, that actually uh, provides a, a really good kind of kind of segue into my next question, uh, because I'm, I'm seeing those salespeople in, in my mind getting really comfortable with uh, with live chat, getting really comfortable with working with a company like like Drift or, or one of the other companies offering that service. And I can see them getting uh, getting so used to that that they end up becoming experts in it moving forward. And it can really change the way that salespeople within an organization are staying on call, staying available, you know, within certain hours and, and sort of taking turns with that. What other ways, uh, Cliff and Josh, what other ways do you think things are going to change as we come out of this and, and people grow into kind of a new normal? It's an interesting question. I think, I think uh, it's, for one thing, it's impossible. It is certainly scientifically impossible to know for sure. And we, it is yet to be seen, you know, very, very much like looking at the economy. It's, it's very difficult to say what the long-term impact of this, this shutdown we're seeing in, in uh, employment and GDP, you know, is this because it was artificially, so to speak, imposed upon the economy because of this one catastrophic event? Is it once the said cat catastrophe is lifted, will the economy just kind of spring back? We really don't know. And I think it, it we, we can hope, we can guess, we just don't know. But I think looking at the way we use technology, again, the way we use technology, the way we do business has been forcibly changed. And yet, in the case of, of what we're talking about here, unlike talking about economic impact, we're talking about the way we use technology and business. A lot of these changes are progressive changes. They're changes toward enhancing and improving and optimizing the way that we uh, leverage the tools that we've already had at our disposal. So it's, it's interesting. I think there's on one hand, we're going to have a craving to get back to normal as soon as we can. So people are going to be very excited. I, I, I can only, I mean, the tears that will be in people's eyes when they go back to their first trade show after all this is over will be a wonder to behold uh, because people will be excited to get some things back to business as usual, but we will learn things along the way and people are going to adopt new tools along the way. So so one of the biggest things that I think is going to change is everybody is going to be a lot more comfortable with video, a lot more comfortable with live video. So a lot of things that would hitherto have seemed perhaps superfluous, uh, certainly in, a, in, in the B2B event space, um, will, will now become table stakes and standards. So a lot of events have provided some kind of virtual dimension to the experience, but not all events provide a virtual experience. I think that's going to start to become standard because everyone's going to learn that that tool set and it's going to become second nature for not only for not only for attendees, but also for for organizers and for brands. Uh, we all understand how to interact in this way. So I think what's going to happen is it's my guess, and it's a total prognostication here, but I think that it's going to be additive. That we're gonna we're gonna come back. We're gonna we're gonna still embrace and and love some of the tools that we've that we've had in the past that we've relied upon. Salespeople, for instance, these are people who are great in person. These are these are people people, and they they perform very well on face to face interactions. So certainly, as soon as those those professionals can get back out there doing what they do best, we're gonna get them back out there. But it's gonna be additive because they're also gonna be 
more more fluent in some of these digital tools, more willing and ready to field chat interactions, for instance, uh, more knowledgeable in terms of how to deliver a product demo when you can't be in person. So I'm hoping that this is going to make us all a lot more nimble, a lot more agile and flexible in terms of how we use our tools and, and starting to figure out when is the virtual experience uh, the most appropriate one for a given interaction. We're going we're gonna to actually feel that freedom and that ability to choose what tool is best for what application. Yeah, I think that that's great, Cliff, and I couldn't agree more. I think additive is is absolutely the the right word to use there. And also, um, you know, as you think about that, and you think about okay, well, what would cause some folks to kind of revert back to some of the old behavior, so to say? Um, you know, we'll pause for a moment and think about okay, is this really needed? Do I really need to separate myself from my my friends and my family to attend a week-long trade show? Um, or can I do this in a different way? And the impact that that has on you know your company, uh, the time away, uh, budgets, but then the larger you know impact on uh, the environment, sustainability, and so you know as I think about what industrial manufacturers might be able to learn from this in the future, it's how can we create sustainable and scalable experiences that we once thought were only capable of being done in a physical space now in a digital space, and and what impact does that have on the business? And and I think it could be a really profound impact as you think about you know what sort of driven some of these technology revolutions in recent decades and and you think about wireless communications being one of them the smartphone you know 4g even recently which empowered companies like uh, uber to really kind of get a foothold and create an entirely new market and so you know you have folks right now that probably I would have thought would never have turned their video on and even done something as simple as a, you know, video call for, you know, a a large internal meeting, you know, Mm -hmm. people are doing that now without even thinking about it. And so that's a, a, a change in behavior that, you know, we talk about a lot that, you know, as you think about changing a personal behavior, sometimes they, you know, experts say it take like 30 days for you to, you know, adopt something and, and ingrain it into your routine. Well, for most <laughs> of us, we're going to be well beyond 30 days of, of these changed behaviors. And so I, yeah. I do think that there's going to be a, a really large impact there. Yeah. Forget 30 days. This is like a full on <laughs> semester. Sure. Oh, yeah. Like a semester's yeah. worth of worth of education here. Yeah. What you're saying, Josh, really takes me to that quote, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And you know we're dealing with a lot of a lot of necessary and and uh, immovable objects right now in the way we do business and and it is interesting. Uh, at no point do I want to just be purely opportunistic and talk about what is certainly a, a, a serious global crisis and and talk about it only as an opportunity. But but the truth is, in the face of of necessity. Uh, we do find opportunities to innovate and, and to adapt. And I think coming out of it, we're going to find some some benefit to that in in how adaptable we can all be. Yeah, I, the word that, that I had for what comes next is that we're all just going to be much more resourceful, um, understanding that typical challenges, um, you know, things that may feel like setbacks um, are, are really not so much something to worry about because we can use the tools that we have in different ways to meet those challenges. I, I think that we're going to see more resourcefulness that leads to more confidence in terms of this is canceled, that's, uh, we ran to a snag here, budget fell apart there. We're just going to move forward and we're going to, to kind of, uh, you know, duck and weave a little bit and come up with something else 
I, I see a lot of that in, in our collective future. And I think it's a tremendously good thing. Absolutely. Great. Well, uh, thank you both very much uh, for, for coming on, sharing your, your insights and, and thoughts. Uh, these blog posts that we've been talking about are available at Godfrey.com. Just click on insights and you'll find a list of our latest thought leadership pieces. Um, plenty to look at there. And uh, Cliff and Josh, thanks very much. Uh, this was a great conversation today. Yeah. Glad to chat. Yep. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thanks. Marketing to Complex Industries is presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Godfrey is built for technical products, discerning buyers, and intricate buying cycles. For more information, visit godfrey.com.